Hey friends, welcome to our second to the last episode in our unconventional homesteading series. And for today's episode, I'm really excited to chat with a guest who I think checks pretty much all the boxes in terms of unconventional homesteading and homesteading <laughs> outside of the box. Um, today I have my friend Allison Askew on with me today. I've done some, I've actually done several interviews with her um, in various programs. She's a wealth of knowledge, but uh, this is the first time I've had her here on the big podcast. So um, the thing I love about Allison is she has lots of irons in the fire and she does things so well and has so much to offer. So she also has a really interesting story. So welcome. I'm excited to chat again today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So um, there's so many interesting parts to your story. I didn't really even know how to title this episode because I feel like <laughs> you just kind of reach into all these different realms. But I guess kind of start right. us off a little bit. Um, and just for you guys listening and watching, not that your story is going to mirror Allison's at all, but I think as you hear her talk and just see how she kind of doesn't fit labels, she just kind of does her thing and just follows her gut. I think you'll, you'll hear a lot of maybe pieces that resonate with you and your story with, and that even if the details of your story and Allison's story are different, but that's kind of why I wanted to have her on today because there's some really good nuggets in here. But um, Allison, I guess start us off with a little bit of your background, how you entered the world of homesteading and ranching and all of the, the pieces that go with it, because it's my understanding you came to it a little bit late in life. Later, yes. not late, <laughs> but later. Let's say it like that. Later. That we feel late. Um better late than never, I guess. Um, but yeah, so um, my husband and I are first generation homesteaders and ranchers. And yeah, our story is kind of unique. And I really don't fit into any boxes because we're just kind of two people trying to figure out how to live this life. Uh, we're definitely a work in progress for sure. And always learning new stuff. So I'm not sure where we fit either. Um, but I both of us come from the city. My husband did grow up in more of an ag community. Um, and I was born and raised in Southern California, um, down in Orange County. So very busy city life. Um, and I guess where our story is kind of unique is my desire to make a change in life um, didn't come till I was a little bit older. <laughs> I was in my early thirties. And although I grew up in the city, horses were a really big part of my life. Um, we were an outdoorsy family anyway. So even though I was born and raised in the city and definitely had, um, a very saturated city life, I can see bits and pieces in there and the characteristics of our family and just other things that were in my life that really helped me and kind of drew the characteristics out of me that wanted to live a more sustainable life in a more remote area. Um, so yeah, through a series of events, which that could be a whole other podcast episode in and of itself. Um, at 33, I really literally dropped everything. I had a great job. I had, um, a beautiful home on the beach, you know, from the outside looking in, I really had it all. I wasn't anything significant, but life was, um, I guess what a lot of people would think is secure. Um, but with that said, there's also a loss, a lot of, uh, false security in that lifestyle as well. So long story short, I literally just dropped everything. 
um, followed my heart, followed what I really felt God was calling me to do and risked it all and left my life in the city to pursue my dreams. Um, I really just wanted to end up uh, around cattle and working livestock. And like I said, horses were a big part of my life. So wanted to follow my dreams to ride horses and work livestock. And that was the initial fire that got me out of the city and take that leap of faith to head out and find what I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And one thing that stuck out to me, you talked about the security piece. What was the impetus that caused you to want to leave that security? Maybe, maybe even want is the, the, the wrong term, but caused you to knew you needed to leave it. Because I think in our culture, that is prized above all else, which makes sense. We, we like to be comfortable. We like to be safe. But what was the, the thing that pushed you over that, that cliff? Um, for me personally, again, it's too, th- I think, you know, encouraging people, I don't want to encourage people to necessarily leave the city. That can almost be like a touchy subject. Cause I do yeah. feel that wherever God wants you to be in your life, that's where you are going to be. And he is going to provide for you. Um, but with that said, I think that there's issues within the city life, um, where the pendulum has swung so far where there is a false security and not saying you have to leave the city, but maybe we start looking at things a little differently. I have a lot of friends that are still back in um, Southern California that are living in that environment, but they have figured out how to be a little more sustainable. And I think we saw that a lot, um, you know, back when the pandemic hit, uh, when there's monopolies in the food industry not such a great idea. (laughs) Um, and also just the overcrowdedness, um, you know, things can go down real quickly. So not saying everyone has to leave the city to go live in a remote area, but there are ways that you can become a little more sustainable and a little more secure. I think I heard somewhere that the grocery stores in cities, I believe, um, can only they can stock on their shelves up to, they estimate three days worth of food. Yeah. So worst case scenario, if something were to happen, are you prepared? If the grocery store only has three days worth of food. Um, and that that's everywhere. We had one of, I think it was actually the biggest fire California has ever had last year in our community, which towns 60 miles away from us, but even in our little community, trucks were on a major highway and trucks couldn't get through and food got really scarce for a couple weeks during that time. Um, so for me, it also, though, personally, um, it was just inside of me. It was just who I was. Um, it started to feel very crowded, very claustrophobic, and I really had to get to a point that the secure job and the secure lifestyle was no longer a priority. It was um, just happiness, which life is still hard. It's not all happy and glorious, Um, but just what brings me joy and contentment. And again, I think God put in me certain characteristics that now I see why he did that to just draw me and lure me out to where we are now. 
Hey friends, I'm going to interrupt this episode for just a sec to answer a question that a lot of you have been asking me lately, and that is, do I still love my Harvest Guard reusable canning lids? So last year I did a video about these lids and it kind of went viral and we ended up creating a backlog of orders for the Harvest Guard company. So it was kind of crazy, but as a result, a lot of you watched that video and were curious to know if I still like these lids all these months later. And my answer is, Yes, I absolutely do. Uh, I love that I can buy them once. I don't have to rebuy them constantly, which right now in this world of crazy, unforeseen shortages of materials, that's a huge bonus. Also, the sustainable part of me just really likes the fact that something isn't going into the garbage every single time I open a jar of home canned food. I will say my one caveat with these lids is that they do have a little bit of a learning curve. So I would recommend that you can your first batch with water. And if you wanna see the whole process of how they work, because they're a little bit different than your typical metal lids, I'm gonna drop a link to that video where I showed you how to use them down in the show notes of this video. But if you wanna try them for canning season this year, you can do so over at theprairiehomestead.com slash canning lids. And if you use code homestead, you'll save 15% on your order. Now, back to our episode. Yes. So I, when we were talking beforehand, before we hit record, you, you mentioned something in, I think, an email about how you were homesteading kind of before you knew there was a title for it, which I find really interesting because a lot of people now, I think there's, there's that pull inside each of us, um, but it definitely helps right now because it's kind of popular, it's kind of trendy. Um, but right. it wasn't like you, you weren't drawn to it because of that, because you saw someone on Pinterest or Instagram. So how did you find yourself in the middle of this lifestyle without having someone guiding you there? Sure. So, um, I, I met my husband who's, um, a rancher, first generation rancher, and we were married, um, I think going on 12 years ago, like time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, we were married and, um, I was pregnant with our first child and he was living in, um, a community just outside of Sacramento. Um, and that's where we were, but he owned property up where we are now. It's a, I don't even know if you'd call it a town. We have nothing. Um, it's a little spot called Ravendale and we are 60 miles from anywhere, but he owned this piece of property, um, that he was going to farm and it was our five to 10 year plan. And, um, I was three months pregnant. We had been married about six months and a big developer actually came in. He was leasing property in El Dorado Hills and a big developer came in and said, you're out like tomorrow. And he said, well, we're going to Ravendale. And I said, but there's nothing in Ravendale. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, there is nothing. The When we first came up here, the population was 22. Hmm. We have a little post office. You get your mail three times a week and it yep. is nothing but pure sagebrush. Yes. But looking back, it was like the scare, even though I wanted to be out here and it was our five to 10 year goal and we had big dreams um, to do it that suddenly to have the rug pulled out from under your feet at the time. It was very, very scary, very stressful. We truly were, we were homesteaders. All of a sudden we are going to a brand new country to try to figure life out. Um, and looking back, if anyone here gets in that situation, both Jeff and I agree, even though it was so sudden and so stressful and not what we wanted, 
it was the biggest blessing in hindsight, because if we would have waited till it was perfect, we would have never done it. it. And, um, so if you find yourself in that situation, just go with the flow. (laughs) Um, because again, God provides and he takes care of everything. So we moved up to where we are now. Um, we still rent a home. We've been, believe it or not, there have been a few rental homes up here. Um, we started with 260 acres and we're now up to a thousand acres, but probably only about a third of that is farmed, mm-hmm. um, which we can circle back to. But what ended up getting us to really switch to a more sustainable lifestyle really was when we decided to get into the beef industry. My husband, when I met him, had a cow-calf operation. And shortly after we got married, that's when the grass-fed beef movement was kind of happening. And I was researching it, and I really liked what I saw. I liked all the health benefits I was seeing in grass-fed beef. And we saw that there was a need for it as well. Um, So we decided, my husband and I decided to switch from cow-calf operation into a ranch direct beef operation. And it was getting into the food industry that was the initial promptings for becoming more sustainable. Um, Getting in there and seeing what was happening on the backside and not just what's happening. I think the biggest thing was labels. I'm trying to figure out what kind of certifications we need, what we don't. Um, And I think a real tipping point was I was working with our web designer, just trying to build a website. And of course I want everything about our beef listed on the website. And I said, well, it's all natural. And he said, well, are you certified? And I said, no. I mean, we, to give you guys a background, our cattle are raised on open range and in pasture. They live like cattle should, no antibiotics or hormones, not because we're totally against it. We don't need it. They live in such, we've matched cattle to the environment. So our cattle really thrive. They have no need for antibiotics. It truly is the cleanest, healthiest beef you can get. But unless I go through 10 million hoops to get labeled certified all natural, apparently I'm not all natural. And he said, well, you can't put that on any of your marketing unless you're certified. And that to me, was just really astonishing, A. Um, And then the other part was we're seeing all those requirements and it actually wasn't the circle that I wanted to be in, you know, um, with all natural, I mean, the powers that be have determined that high fructose corn syrup is all natural. (laughs) And so you can put high fructose corn syrup in applesauce, which I don't know why anyone needs to put high fructose corn syrup in applesauce, slap the all natural label on it, stick it on the shelf. Um, so it's like, okay, what do I want to be a part of? And we have to be USDA certified. So we do go to USDA certified butcher, but we were seeing all this labeling that was just really misleading. Um, you know, eggs too. We let our kids, we were at farmer's market anyways. We had some laying hens. We wanted to give our kids some responsibilities. So we told them they could start an egg business. And I kid you not, the packet I got in the mail for eggs was like this thick. And I didn't even understand all the verbiage. And I'm thinking, I just want to sell an egg. Um, 
or even, you know, the fact that, again, the powers that be, we have a very different, I have a very different perspective from them on what should be done with our food. And they want me to wash all these eggs. And in my opinion, well, I believe eggs have a protective coating on them. And as soon as you wash them, you remove that coating and that's when things happen. So that was probably the big, biggest eye-opener was labeling and seeing that from our side. And all that did for us was make us go, wow, what is really happening to food in the stores? We better grow and raise as much of our own food as possible. That was it. We weren't setting out to be homesteaders. We weren't setting out to be sustainable. We just want a good, clean food. Um, so that was one. There's probably three major things. That was the biggest push into our journey. Um, number two is just my location. I'm 60 miles outside of town. And you learn real fast. You don't want to forget something from the store. Yeah. So something as simple as logistics of, well, I don't want to run to the store as often. How much can I do at home? Um, you start cooking a lot more from home because there's no, well, let's grab a pizza yeah. or call in the hubby to pick up takeout on the way home from work. <laughs> um, you you got to learn how to make it work when you live in such a remote area. And then um, also kind of a random one, it was having children. Um, having children really changed my perspective in so many ways. And you're holding this baby that is so pure and completely uncontaminated. And it really made me a lot more aware, yes, on the food level, but then also just how we were living life. You know, even things I was using within the home and the toxins I'm bringing into the home, um, that led me on my journey to just get more educated on some more natural resources. So with all three of those, we were set out to grow and raise our own food, um, solve problems, in a more natural way. Um, and I had no idea if there was this whole homesteading community, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and there was a big, I found the home. I think you were the first person I discovered Jill. And I don't even remember how I found you. I did know about Joel Salatin because we had been following him for soil health and rotational yeah. grazing and things like that. Um, but even he, I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard Joel Salatin say, you know, I'm a homesteader. He just Not is really, living life. Yeah. He's far. Yeah. He just yeah. lives life the way he's going to live. And that's yeah. how we were. How can we improve the soil health? How can we um, raise cattle the way cattle are meant to live? And it does, it actually really simplifies things. Um, but about three years ago, I think it was your account was the first one that I found. You know, it really opened my eyes and there's good. I'm very, very thankful for the startup, not having an outside influence because it was very natural, organic, raw. Um, and there's a influence can be good and it can be too much. Right. Right. For sure. Um, yeah. So I, we, instead of trying to fit into the homesteading box, we were just trying to see how things could work that was best for us um, yeah. in our environment with what we were doing, which 
I believe is the essence of homesteading, really, right? We yeah. and we it, don't all have the same environment. Right. We, it's like your whole, this whole series that you're doing right now, this whole season is to show homesteading comes in many different forms. And to me, the whole definition of homesteading is figuring out how to make it work for you in your environment, depending on what your family situation is, all those outside factors. So, um, but then, you know, I'm really grateful that I did find the homesteading community because it really upped my game, so to speak. You know, Um, I always said I would never, ever, ever have a milk cow. (laughs) ever because all I had ever heard was <laughs> you're stuck milking yeah. 24 7 365 yeah. and it, that wasn't yeah. even on my radar and then I find other people that are following this lifestyle of just being more sustainable and they have experiences and wisdom and knowledge that are good to, to learn from and you know I learned you can calf share and so yeah. I think it's so interesting how you came into it from getting a kind of behind the curtain look at the conventional food industry, seeing what was going Mm -hmm. on and not even like I'm joining a movement or I'm joining the trend. You're like, no, thank you. Common sense says this doesn't make sense. I have to find out a different option. That is fascinating to me. Um, (laughs) It it also is, it it reminds me of, I've, I've seen a meme floating around where they're like, we shouldn't be calling it organic food. It's just food because you know, we, we applied labels. It's so funny. And I mean, we all do it. We apply labels to these ways of living where homes, you know, it's homesteading or it's farmsteading. That was just human. That's just being a human. It's human skills. It's survival right. skills. Just like, you know, any other time before now you had to know those things just to live. And yet now exactly. it's like a niche thing. And people are like, oh, I can't believe you do that. Or why do you do that? Or it's so weird or so odd. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What we're living as a modern culture is odd and weird and unnatural. This is yes. just how it was forever. Yeah. 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 Or like raw milk. Why are we yeah. calling it are we calling it's milk? milk? <laughs> we should call it cooked milk. You buy cooked milk yeah. at the store. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. Sterilized milk. I could but we won't get into that whole <clears throat> that's another episode. Right. That rant. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think it's it also takes a special kind of personality to see the system. Because and and then choose out of the system. I think and I think that applies. Well, I had a previous season where we talked about systems. Um, mm-hmm. It applies to education systems and health systems and food systems and all kinds of systems because a lot of people. I, I think it's I don't know if it's personality. I don't know if it's conditioning. Uh, I don't know if it's generational. They're just they they're very comfortable within just like falling in line. Okay, well the government wants me to do fifteen different certifications and twenty pounds of paperwork. Well I'll just do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And you know put your head down and do the, do what you're you know told. And I think it's a special type of personality that is very common in homesteader folks where you're like nah I'm good I'll do something else. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It for sure is. And I actually have to give my husband a lot of the credit for stepping outside the box. He is, his personality, I mean, even from how we're ranching to just how we live life day in and day out, I was more of a fall into the box, um, especially not really, you know, being a first generation rancher and following those dreams at age 33, it was like, read something. Okay. This is how we have to do it because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. 
that he was never influenced by that. He was never affected by it. Um, again, he just, we run a Coriani crossbreed. Coriania roping cattle. Yeah, yeah. We have a very successful beef business from it. If you tell most people we run a Coriani crossbreed, they're going to look at us like we're crazy. But he said, well, Coriani thrive. They have a 99.9% success rate um, when it comes to calving. We don't have a calving season. I Because our cattle, they hide out in the sagebrush. They're really good at what they do. They're great moms. They're protective moms. I mean, for a month every year in the spring, we always think we've lost our entire herd because they just kind of disappear. Jeff watches them from the outside, but he's never had a problem with feeling the push to be like everybody else. Granted, our Coriani don't look like typical roping cattle. They're very fat and happy and glossy, Um, but it's a crossbreed. We cross them with Angus, put a little more beef on them, but it's very unique. They thrive in our environment. They never get sick. They calve well. It makes really, really great beef. Um, and it's funny because one of his biggest influencers is Walt Disney. Oh, interesting. And yeah, he's really encouraged by him because I think Walt was in his 50s yes. when he created Disneyland. And he was going against the flow of everybody told him he was crazy. Everyone thought he was doing something just far too bizarre, but he's, and I find that actually a lot, most successful people or people I admire, they all started with everyone saying, you're crazy. You're going against society. What are you doing? And it brings out the best fruit from it. Um, So I was more the person that would always be like, you can't do it that way. And Jeff would just say, why not? And I couldn't tell you why not, (laughs) you know, so I have to give him credit for being the one to really show me it's okay not to be like everybody else. And if it works, it works. Um, You don't have to prove it to anyone else. I mean, even I keep referring to our beef just because that's what we do, but I say the proof is in the beef. If someone can eat our beef, they're going to come back for more. That's where the proof is. Um, It just shows how successful you can be thinking outside the box. Yeah. And it's always so striking to me. Um, If anybody follows me on Instagram, you know, I'm constantly sharing things about like thinking outside the box and not being afraid of that criticism because humans are just fascinating creatures. We, we pick apart anything that's different, anything that steps out of line, anything that looks a little bit um, of a variant of what we're used to. Yet the people we celebrate the most are the ones who were the rebels and the trailblazers and the bigger thinkers. Um, And that's what has pushed humanity forward. And whenever I'm reading um, biographies with the kids about different inventors, we did a whole unit study on inventors last year. Like every single inventor we've read, they were ridiculed. They were hated. People made fun of them. People disowned them. Um, some were killed and some didn't even become recognized till after, you know, hundred years after their death. But I'm like, holy cow, why are humans, we're so adverse to someone who's right. thinking differently. It's crazy. It's crazy. And our whole world is powered by marketing. I'm just going to yeah. say that. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is. is all powered by marketing. Um, yeah. Black Angus, Black yes. Angus beef. Everyone yes. has Black Angus beef. And it's like, so I, that's what, that's what I'm like. Okay. They're like, do you have Angus beef? I'm like, cause we have Hereford, which are a little more okay. acceptable than Coriani for beef. Right. 
like uh-huh. in the in the grand scheme of beef opinions. But Herefords are still not Angus, so people will be like, "Well, do you have Angus?" I'm like, "No," and they're like, "Well, why not?" Well, why do you like? Why do you think Angus were the only beef cow? Like, right? Wh- or the why? fact that it's black? It's black. Like, Who cares? If yeah, it's black or red or purple. It doesn't matter. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, just you know, it's funny. We still get a lot of beef publications, and we read them because we want to be aware of what's happening. Right. We don't want to just shut our eyes to everything that's happening in the world. And we'll read through a publication and be like, "Hmm, okay, we're doing 99% of what they don't do. And after reading it, we actually feel way more secure and like, okay, yeah, we're on the right track because we look at what they're telling everyone to do. And it's like, why? That it's just more work and more chaos and leads to more problems. And so yeah. Be bold, people. Be bold. Yeah. Yes. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to feel a little scary, but just, just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about being a first generation rancher, because that's another piece of your, your homestead journey that is different because a lot of homesteaders are, are homesteaders and you're blending it with commercial agriculture in your own sense. So that's different, but it's also really tough. It can be a, it's tough to break into the world of ranching if you don't have a pedigree, you don't have a family that has bestowed it upon you. And that's what Christian and I have right. experienced as well. So talk to me about how that has worked over the years. Sure. Um, it's been hard both emotionally and physically. Um, you know, it's hard as a person because we don't like we don't fit into any box. You know, we aren't, we don't fit into the ranching community, but we aren't really in the homesteading community, but I'm not in the city life anymore. And that can be a little hard. Um, You know, our family has been, they've always supported us. They want us to follow our dreams, but I know they scratch their heads in the beginning and are just like, oh my word, you're moving into the middle of nowhere. And um, we sacrificed a lot, a lot. We sacrificed comfort. We sacrificed um our you know we come we're at the jeff and i are at the bottom of the list all the time um and i think they you know started as what are you doing you're crazy now that we're 10 11 years into it and the more they come out and visit with us they're actually i think they're really enjoying it now and enjoying seeing oh oh it does work and oh yeah you know, yeah, you're 60 miles outside of town, but it doesn't mean we don't see people ever. I mean, well, if I didn't have children, I probably would never leave my property. I think I'm the same way. I'm fine staying home. Um, but, you know, we go into town once a week and it's not that big of a deal. 60 miles, it seems like a lot in the beginning, but I mean, I have friends in Orange County that sit in three hours of LA traffic to go to an audition, you yes. know, and it's like, yes, that's the only driving I do once a week straight into town. Yeah. But, um, and it's kind of funny because now everyone in the family says, if anything happens, they're all coming to us. So yeah, we've had that too. And I'm like, but, but wait, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll see. Right. <laughs> I, I can only feed and handle so many yeah. of you. Like, you gotta kind of pitch in. Yeah. You gotta bring your own canned um, goods. So maybe you should start working on that yeah. now. <laughs> put it in your trunk and bring it with you. Right. Right. So, you know, and it was hard because now, you know, again, emotionally, just where do I fit in? And, um, 
because we don't really fit in with anyone. And then just physically, I mean, we literally started with nothing, you guys. We started with sagebrush. Um, and But we had this dream, again, which, you know, I believe God has given us. So as long as you know God is telling you to do something, I do believe he's going to provide. And Jeff always says we live on the ragged edge of profitability all the time. Um, but it's where we flourish and we're really happy is doing improve. We want to improve. Um, we want to make life better. We want to make it better for our children. We have finally come to terms with the fact that all these big dreams we have, we might see maybe at the end of our life. Yeah. <laughs> but what keeps us fueled is we will have something to hand down to our children. Yes. That they, it won't be as, not that I don't want it to be hard on them. I don't want to just give them everything. Yeah. Um, but I also hope that they, I hope that Jeff and I work in a way because they see us, everything we do, we put right back into growing, growing the homestead, growing the ranch, growing the beef business. How can we improve the quality of life around here? So I hope our kids don't just take what we have and live off of it. I hope that they also learn to continue to grow and improve soil health and expand and community. We're big into community. Yes. Um, so it, as far as physically, it was really, really, really hard. Um, we are just now, I would say about a third of the land that we have is now grasslands. Um, you got to believe in it too. <laughs> you yeah. know, I think we got to look into history. Jeff's actually found a couple really neat books written by ranchers that lived in this area and they aren't even around. They aren't alive anymore, but you read these books and we're in this Valley. We have little mountain ranges on both sides of us, but our entire valley that is right now sagebrush, it was all grasslands. It was like prairie land at one point. Really? So you sit there thinking, okay, if that's how they lived on these grass, mm. like there's got to be a way to get back to that. And maybe we are just a little tiny portion of it. Yeah. But you have to start somewhere and you have to be brave enough to be the person that's going to say, you know what? It's going to be long. It's going to be hard. But if there's a certain world I want to live in, I have to create it. Oh my gosh. I can't Amen. leave it to anybody else. Amen. <laughs> I hear, yeah, I just, that is like my biggest thing right now. That's my biggest mo or rallying cry. I'm like, if you want something, you're going to have to create it. And maybe it's just those of us, I mean, especially those of us who live in these little tiny communities, there's no, there's not another vision person casting vision. You are the vision person. If you want it, you right. do it. Um, and like you said, it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's just going to flat out suck. It's, you're going to cry. It's going to be blood, sweat, and yeah. tears. But you, somebody has to do yes. it. And if not you, then then who? I just, oh, amen. Yeah. And again, we might not see, you know, Walt got to see Disneyland. We might yeah. not get to see our Disneyland. But we are very at peace at what we are doing. We're confident in what we are doing. We want to be the change. So we're going to do it. Um, and you know what? It does it gets better. So if you're yes. at the beginning, it gets a lot better. And sometimes you have to do things the way you don't want to do them before they get to the way you picture them. We don't want to use equipment. We would love to do rotational grazing, um, you know, and have 
good grasslands with good soil. Well, in the beginning, Jeff had to use a lot of equipment. We had, you know, he had to shred the brush and mow and land plane and disc. And it took five years of doing that before we improved our soil. We did put animals on the soil, Mm -hmm. um, but it was a lot of work in improving our soil before we could turn it into grasslands. So, but now that, now that we do look back, it's beautiful. I look at some of our grass fields and it's like, wow, we did this, (laughs) you know? So Um, what, what was the reason that it turned from the grass to sage was just overgrazing over time? I don't, I don't know that answer. Jeff probably would. Yeah. I don't know if it, we live, we're in high desert. We live, (laughs) in a remote area because no one wants to live here. Yeah. Jeff always says, we found the last frontier. And I'm yep. like, no, we didn't. <laughs> Nobody else wants Nobody to live wants here. To. I have said that about our location sometimes. <laughs> Yesterday, in fact. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a reason no one's here. So yeah. I don't, you know, it's, it can be, a, it's not horrible. We can have horrible winters. It does get really cold. It's not, our, we are the Wyoming of California. Yeah. The wind, it is always, always windy here. Um, and then it's hot and dry in the summer. Yeah. So I don't know if people just abandon it and the sagebrush took over. I don't know how that works, but we're turning it back to how it was. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's like, that's speaking my language. How have you over time learned how to, I don't know, cope is the right word. Have you learned to be okay with not fitting into boxes? Cause I, I resonate with that a lot. I feel like that. I mean, I don't, sometimes I don't even feel like I fit into the homesteader box all the way because I'm a little more modern than a lot of the homesteaders. Like I do certain things that aren't as legit and then I, but I don't fit into the rancher box. Right. Um, right. and I, I, I'm an entrepreneur, but a lot of entrepreneurs are like all about big fancy watches and sports cars. And I'm not into that. So I'm like, I don't fit anywhere hundred percent. How do you um, sort through that? Yeah, we're very much alike on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's an ebb and flow. There are seasons where I really could care less what anyone else thinks. And I'm so happy with what I'm doing. And that's a lot of it. I think if you just stay busy with the work that's in front of you, because trust, we have, my days are very full. Oh, and yes. sometimes it's just, you know what? <laughs> shut out the outside world, be busy with what's in front of you, busy with God, get what God gives you for today. Yep. Um, and just enjoy. And it is, it's very enjoyable. I love to have full days, um, but human nature. And I do try to share on Instagram to encourage others. And I've, I've been able to improve how I use social media. So that's helped a lot. I use it a lot more as a tool um, to where I can glean from areas that I want to glean from, but that's it. It's just a tool to share information. Um, but yeah, I'm human. There are times, you know, where things just start sneaking in and I start questioning, gosh, am I doing, it swings to, am I doing anything right? Because I wear many hats and I don't feel like I'm good at any of them. Yes. And I think just your tribe too, because where I am today versus where I was 10 years ago, huge difference. Um, And it depends on who I talk to. I have some friends that they would think I'm complete homesteader. Um, Right. 
you know, it, it's their perspective of things and others that are like, well, you have a dishwasher. Yes. And I'm very, very, very grateful yes. for my dishwasher. <laughs> yes. No shame. No shame. <laughs> no. Nope. But, you know, I think there's a difference too of I'm, I'm okay with modern appliances because I, there's a difference between relying on them. Um, if my dishwasher broke, you know what? I would be okay. Yes. I would survive. But my kitchen is always mess even with the dishwasher because I am trying to make all our foods from scratch. So yeah, I am very, very thankful for a dishwasher. And I think that's another thing. We get so wrapped up in the fact that we have to do it all. Yeah. And I have had to really come to terms with, you know what? Nobody can do it all. For sure, nobody can do it all. And I take on the perspective more of, I'm going to learn how to do something so I'm capable of doing it if I need to do it. Like, I can make my own bread. If I have to go to the store and buy a loaf of bread here and there, I'm going to be okay with that, you know, to save on time. Or I use my grain mill to figure out how to make my own flour and work with it. But I might just use flour I get from Azure Standard, you know, to bake my bread. I might not be using my grain milk every single time I make bread. Yeah. And just learn, trying to, I want to learn all the skills, but then I have to be really careful with my time and pick what's more important. And, you know, we say done is better than perfect a lot. But also I would add on to that piece is better than perfect. Yes. And if I tried to do everything all the time, I would not have a peaceful house. That Same. is for sure. Same. And I think that's such an important distinction. And maybe it's because of, I think sometimes when you're sharing on social media, people just assume they see you share about, you know, raw milk at one point or, or making your own bread at one point. And then they just assume that you are doing that three times a day in perpetuity And I've had to tell people sometimes, like there are ebbs and flows, like you said, like right now, gal, I'm confessing, I have store-bought milk in my refrigerator and we are milking our cow twice a day. My daughter (laughs) is, but we have three bottle calves and I'm like, you know what? Right now I'm not making cheese. We are drowning in projects. Like this is our busiest month that we've had in a long time. I will not have time for cheese. I will not have time for sour cream. I have those recipes on my blog, but I am currently not making them. And there is store-bought milk in my refrigerator because my calves are drinking all of my raw milk. And you know what? I opened it up yesterday. I'm like, I don't care. I have no qualms over this. Like I'm surviving and I will get back to cheese. And when we don't drink a lot of store milk and it's not going to kill us and so be it. Peace is important. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, the saying, sometimes you have to say no to something good to say yes to something better. Yep. And, um, I remember last year, it was, um, well, now it's Freedom Foundry. I forget what yes. it was called before. Yeah. And you said, maybe you don't have a garden this year. And I was like, oh, yeah. that was like, Jill, how dare I know, you? How dare I did you? not like that piece of information. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was like, I don't like you anymore. Yeah. Why would you tell me yeah. not to have a garden? And you know, what's funny is um, you said that. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm not listening to her. One month later, we had one night of, I lost my whole garden. It was the biggest blessing that year, but it was, it was such a blessing because so many other more important things came up where I was like, 
oh my gosh, she was right. She was right. Like, and that's the thing we try to fit into the labels, labels mess us up all the time. We try it into these, fit into these labels. And again, just ask yourself, why, why do you have to have a garden? And that's where community comes in. You know, original homesteaders, they weren't doing it all. They weren't, they weren't growing every kind of, you ate what you could grow or raise in your environment. They weren't having blueberries year round, you know, (laughs) they didn't have freezers. So let's get rid of the labels and having to do it all. And again, I want to learn, I will forever want to learn new skills, Um, but learn it so I can apply it when I need to. I don't have to be doing it all the time. Yes. And, you know, God made us to be in a community. God did not make us to live alone. And unfortunately, as adults, I think a lot of what we teach our kids, we don't abide by, (laughs) you know, like everyone has their own set of skills and everyone thrives in a different way. But then as adults, we're like, well, we can do it all. Yeah, for sure. And we get very prideful. And I am a huge proponent of community. I love bartering. Um, And I will happily, happily barter with anyone because I can take, we're very good at growing protein Mm -hmm. garden. I'm figuring it out more what grows well here and I'm accepting what I can't grow here. Um, but I have friends that are, I haven't ventured into sourdough yet. No one's gluten intolerant in my house. So we do, we make 95% of our own bread, but it's not sourdough. (gasps) And I know. Totally joking. And at this totally point joking. in my life, I'm like, <laughs> like I babysit so many things. Yes. I don't need to babysit. Yes. Like, I'll get there someday. Yep. But right now, I'm not. So yep. you know what? My friend in town that wants our farm fresh eggs, if she wants to trade my eggs for her sourdough bread, amen. Yes. I'm all for it. Yes. And that's what it is all about. If we all focused on what we're good at and instead of trying to do it all. Because again, homesteaders too, we say... You know, I say sustainable. People want to say self-sufficient. Yes. Nobody has ever done it all. No. Um, I tell my kids all the time, learn how to do something. If you hate it, if you never want to do it again, that's fine. But learn how to yeah. do it so you can. Yeah. Um, Jeff hates working on our equipment and cars. He hates it. Yeah. But if he has to, he knows how to do it. I think that's a great yeah, uh, that's a great definition is know how to do it. But if you can't, like, there's no shame in outsourcing that I, mean, right. that's, I learned that lesson in business. Cause I wanted to hold on to all my business pieces when I first started. And then I'm like, you mm-hmm. can't do that or you'll crash and burn. So, you know, outsource graphics yeah. or outsource editing or, um, but we can do that with homesteading. And the, like you said, pulling on that community and those resources there. Yeah. yeah. And it's healthy to do that. I mean, yes. if I, if I did it all and didn't support my fellow farmers. Well, let me back up. When we support other people and what they do well, 99% of the time they're going to grow. I mean, the people that if you support me in my beef business, I am, I am so passionate about what we do. We're going to put it all back into the beef business and the ranch and getting better and expanding and turning 
more sagebrush into grassland. So it's going to get better. So when I, instead of just trying to hold everything so tight and do it myself, when I invest, that's what it is. It's not just voting with your dollar. It's an investment into your future. If I invest in some of our farm friends and say, hey, I'll trade you beef for your produce, it then allows them to expand and grow where they excel. And to me, that's that's where it's at. That is when it is priceless. Like I said, when the you know fires hit and we're the small community, well, where's your food going to come from when yep. the trucks can't get through? Well, lucky for me, I have some farm friends that... <laughs> I could go swap with. And that to me is what it's all about. Community and encouraging others and supporting others and what they do well, because that is what makes us sustainable as a whole. You've talked about it a lot, Jill, just, it is about community. It's not about just being a sole survivor in the middle of nowhere and not needing anybody else, because I guarantee you at some point in your life, you're going to need other people. Yeah. And I didn't have that perspective when we started homesteading. I didn't, and not only I didn't speak to it publicly, I didn't have it. Like I was very much like, we're just going to like, leave me alone. I'm going to stay here. I didn't know anybody in my town. I didn't do anything in our town. I wasn't involved. I didn't care if I had a lot of connections, um, which wasn't great. And I really kind of had to like shake myself over the last few years and go, what are you doing? Like you're building an Island. And not only does that like that doesn't work, but it's not very much fun when you're all by yourself. Yeah, I was just so busy with what was in front of me, but investing locally. And I would encourage this to anyone listening mm-hmm. or watching. I don't care if you live in a big city or a little tiny town of 22 people, invest locally. Like stop always going outside and driving away for your entertainment or your connections or what you're doing. Like figure out how you can dig in because we that's what we've done the last three or four years. And it has been some of the best years on our homestead it, and cultivating that yeah. community. It's like- and if you look at the old time homesteaders, they did that. And you read their yes. accounts, they were very social. People don't understand that. They were yes. extremely social. And they would tr- they would get in their wagon and there they would go to town 20 yeah. miles and they didn't care. And I think that's a piece of modern homesteading that we miss a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And we, we were the same way, Jill. I was the yeah. same way of, oh, we're just going to build our own island. And especially coming from the, I was so tired of people. By the yeah, sure, sure. I was, I was not a friendly person. It yeah. was like, oh, I can't, I can't deal with all the politics of everything and people and visions of sticking inside a label. So yeah, we were kind of like that. And we've changed too. We've seen the importance of community. Um, And that's been more over the last few years too. So um, even we are now looking um, at the only part of the beef business we don't do. We do everything. We raise the cattle. (laughs) Um, We deliver the beef. The only part of the business we don't do is the butchering. And that's always been our dream to actually do that. So we do every part of it. And we've always thought of building a butcher shop just for us. And seeing what's been happening in the last two years, but then specifically the last few months, we realize mm, this isn't about us. Yeah, um, right. We aren't the only family ranch that needs a butcher shop that's reliable. So we've decided we're going to attempt to, mm. we'll see how it goes, so build exciting. a USDA butcher shop. We yes. have some commercial property that we acquired this year in our okay. town. Our town town is a post office. Yes, yes. There was a town here. Uh, There's a house. They still call it the Teatridge because all the teachers lived in this house. But 
town is burned down twice. So I'm not sure if we're really smart or really, really stupid. I have thought that ourselves. So you're in good company. This is the best idea or the worst idea. One of the two. Yeah. Wait, there was a town there. Yeah. Burned down. Not once, but twice. twice. But so we're going to do it again. Uh, But you know what? We are on, we're on, for those of you that know 395, it is a major, major highway. Yeah. Through California. So we said, you know what? We will get people from Oregon. We will get people from Nevada. We will get people from the coast. We need to build a butcher shop so we can support other families that are doing the same thing that we want to do. Yes. And that's what it's all about. That is so exciting. I cannot wait. For, that's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Either. I wish I could just snap my fingers and have it I done, know. But... I know. I know the feeling. Yeah. But yay. Yay for moving forward in faith and the adventure. <laughs> That is to come. That's our Disneyland. That is your Disneyland. (laughs) (laughs) Almost the same thing. Sort of. (laughs) Right. um, Oh my goodness. That went, our time went really fast, but um, one last question as we wrap up, what was it like to break into that small community? Did you have any challenges as you entered into this teeny tiny village? You know, it is hard. I think especially in the ranching community. And it's, it's talked about a lot. I think we have this younger generation that's coming up, that's expressing an interest and they see the old school ways of ranching. There's a great pride in it, which is good. Um, There's a lot of sacrifice in what we do. We've had a lot of friends that, Oh, you started a beef. Oh, we want to be beef producers and have a ranch draft beef business. And, we share everything you need to do. And we're like, we just hold our breath because there is a lot of sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice. And, um, your well-being gets put aside and other things take priority. And like you said, it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. It really is. And a lot of people are not willing to give up everything to start from scratch. And then also you have these old timers, that have that put in the blood, sweat and tears, and they have worked very hard. And we understand it. I have to remind Jeff all the time. Can you imagine if some new kid moved out to Ravendale and started ranching? You'd be like, Hey, you'd have the same perspective, (laughs) you know? Um, And we moved being the loners that we are and, you know, wanting to live in a remote area. It's like, Oh, another person is here. We don't want any more people. Um, So we were questioned, but I don't think it was that we were unrightfully questioned. Yeah, I'm going to, if someone moved in, I would be like, oh, what are you going to do to our land? And how responsible are you going to be? And what kind of techniques? And so I, we both, we understood it. We understood why people kind of looked down their noses at us and kind of questioned us. And because we don't fit into the mold of beef ranchers. And again, I think it's just that person, you have to be okay with it. Um, And we just tried to really prove, not through what we said, but by our actions. And again, just get busy with the work in front of you. Yep. Yep. You know, shut out all that static and all the negative talk and all the questioning every single day. It's okay, God, here's my plans. But if you have a better plan, you know, just lead me and guide me. And we just get busy 
doing what we need to do each and every day. And I think over time, that's where you kind of prove yourself. Yes. Um, and being responsible, being part of the community too, which that takes time. That takes a lot it of does. time. It does. It um, does. Jeff, you know, Jeff had some old guys that, you know, really kind of came at him in the beginning and he always just kept his cool. We're going to kill you with kindness and taking the time. I mean, it can take a year to really break down the walls of some of the, some of, I'll put myself in that community of we're aloners out here, uh, you know, to show me who you really are might try to take some time. So just be patient and then, you know, be really involved and don't just help others. I learned a big part of it is letting people help you. Mm. I love to help others. We're all for helping others. I have a really hard time saying, okay, I'll accept help from you. And, you know, one example is with our, our dairy cow, that was, we got it from our neighbor. Um, we were, set up for a milk cow at all (laughs) we weren't quite ready but it was just an opportunity came up our neighbor had one it was the perfect scenario we thought okay we'll take her well calving came and that they are not like beef cattle at all (laughs) that was a whole new experience for me I'm like what is going on (laughs) I we've been raising cows well I've been around cows for 12 years how come I can't handle the situation and I wasn't really sure what was going on and the neighbors said uh, she just, she was kicking her calf out a lot. She had a lot more milk than yeah. I knew what to do with. Yeah. <laughs> so our neighbors said, well, you know, bring her over, bring her over to our place and we'll help you with it. Could we have done it on our own? Yeah. Could I have figured sure. it out? Yeah. Do we have all the things we need? Yeah. But you know what? We thought they really want to help. Let's not shut them out. And honestly, that was the best move because we've always gotten along with them. They're nice neighbors. That is what broke the barriers down. Us working together and allowing them to help me with sweet Clarabelle, it took our relationship to a whole new level. So be involved, see where you can help, share I mean, show people what you have to offer by share. You know, we just share eggs. Hey, you want some eggs? We have eggs. You want milk? Have some milk. Um, Show up on people, no matter what they ask, show up and help them. We've got another um, neighbor that has a huge greenhouse and sometimes he just gets overwhelmed. Hey, can you help me come harvest everything? Sure. And we drop everything and go over and help. So get involved and then let people help you as well and prove yourself in your work. So, there's those so that well talk said. yeah and those that do <laughs> that just mirrors our experiences so much it took it took time um mm-hmm. there were people who were super suspicious thinking that like when we bought the soda fountain that we were gonna just completely mess it up yeah. and ruin it and they were like giving us a side eye and we I just had to be like it hurt my feelings at first but I had to be like you know what they don't know for as much yeah. as they know we could be turning into a strip mall and I would totally also be suspicious of someone doing that so just being yeah. patient putting your head down and letting your your results do the talking has been really yeah. key. So awesome advice. Whew. Wonderful stuff, Allison. <laughs> um, remind us or tell us where people can follow along with you and all that you do. Are you sh- shipping your beef yet or not? Or are you just local no. beef yet? Okay. I don't know if we ever will. And just um, local. Yeah. That's another thing. Like again, that's where labels come. Like every oh, you have to yeah. ship your beef. You have to do this. And I remember reaching out to 
someone um, that that I admired that had family. I'm like, am I crazy not to want to ship beef because I have three little kids. We're in a very remote area. Well, yeah. I know you went. It's a nightmare. To ship. It is a nightmare. To ship. I'm sure once you I get into the flow, yeah, yeah, it was a nightmare. I'm sure once yeah. it works for some people and it works great. It doesn't work for us. Sure. And you know what? That's one of those why. Because everybody else is shipping beef, exactly. I have to ship beef. And this goes across the board for anything you're doing in your life. You don't have to fit in with everyone. And I thought, why am I trying so hard to ship? We cannot keep up with demand. Yeah. So why am I trying to ship beef when I can't even get it to local people fast yes. enough? Yes. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So if you're local you. to Ravendale, <laughs> if you live in Ravendale and you're listening to this yeah. podcast, <laughs> go get some If you're one of the 22 people. <laughs> 22 people or in the surrounding areas. I'm, I'm, I know you go to farmer's markets and such, but um, yeah. Yeah. What, I know you have a website, Instagram, so share those with everybody so they can find um, So we have for beef, if you want to see more of a ranching side, it's aerojbeef.com. Um, I am not a wealth of knowledge. I'm just kind of sharing my journey. I'm a work in progress, but hoping I'm so passionate about what we do. And I think it's a need to be a little more sustainable and to build community. So I try to encourage, and you can find me at aerojranchwife.com or on social media, aerojranchwife. So aerojbeef or aerojranchwife. Awesome. Um, and I'm not that consistent. That's okay. But People can go look at your your old stuff too if you don't have a lot of new stuff. Yeah, I know I'm not being super consistent right now either because summer and all the things yeah. that go with it. So yeah. sometimes we actually have to live the life that we're trying to. Yes. Somebody the other day was like, "Why aren't you posting more?" I'm like, "Because I'm living the the living the things that You're I right. post. I just can't post it at the same time." So right, doing the things. So right. Allison, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a joy to talk to you. Um, I appreciate you sharing all your wealth of knowledge. And I know it was super inspiring for those of us who don't fit into boxes. There's a lot of folks, especially if you're at the homestead world, you might not be the official homesteader or the <laughs> homestead label. And that's okay. You can do it how it works for you and how it makes sense for your family. So we're the misfits group. We're the misfits, all the misfits, <laughs> the misfits of the misfits. So um, thank for those you, of you, Jill. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for those of you uh, who are regular listeners, we will have our last episode of the season next week. I'll be doing a wrap up and giving you some updates of, my life, how the soda fountain's been going, and we'll be talking a little bit more about homesteading in a small community. So stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.